pleasure and pain, etc., thinking, this is my wife, this is my house, I am the master of this house, I am the husband of this, I am the husband of this wife. These are the dualities of delusion. Those who are so deluded by dualities are completely foolish and therefore cannot understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead. <clears throat> are you all reading Srila Prabhupada's books? I hope you are doing so. Listening to Srila Prabhupada's lectures? Alright, very good. So you are all familiar with the term fools and rascals. Running up very eagerly to record. Yeah, fools and rascals is a phrase which Srila Prabhupada often used yes, to describe everyone who is not in Krishna consciousness. Which means almost everyone in this material world. So, according to what Srila Prabhupada says, pretty much everyone in this material world, with the exception of a few Krishna conscious people, are all fools and rascals. Which seems to be a very heavy condemnation. But it's borne out or substantiated by this statement in this verse, which we can analyze. It's not uh, simply a sectarian condemnation. Just like uh, in some religions they say, well, anyone who's not in this religion, they're all doomed. They're all going to hell. They're all finished forever. So... We're not sectarian. We don't condemn any certain group. It's, uh, as Srila Prabhupada often used to say, it is a scientific analysis or factual analysis. So the first word in this verse is Icha. Desire. <clears throat> Icha. Desire in itself is not a bad thing, because in Krishna consciousness we're being trained to desire Krishna and the service of Krishna and the association of devotees of Krishna. Now, material desire, as Lord Buddha famously said, Desire is the cause of all suffering. So that's a famous statement. Famous in English, anyway, in that form. I don't know what the original Pali form is. His sayings were later recorded mostly in Pali, which is just like Hindi or Bengali there. Malayalam, the language is derived from Sanskrit, so a language at that time in North India, derived from Sanskrit, maybe a precursor of modern Hindi. So anyway, uh, desire is the cause of suffering. That is true, but that statement needs to be qualified. 
more clearly defined. Material desire is the cause of suffering. Spiritual desire is the cause of bliss, because spiritual existence is satchit anandamai, eternal, full of proper knowledge, and full of consciousness, and full of bliss. But the statement, desire is the cause of all suffering, as made by the Buddha, leads to the conclusion that we should stop all desire and then we will stop all suffering. But stopping desire is not possible, because nahi kaschit kshanamati jatu karmakrit. The nature of the soul is to be active. The soul is always active. There is always consciousness. Even in, sometimes the consciousness is uh, almost completely dull, almost completely struck. Just like the state of a coma or deep sleep. The consciousness is almost stopped, but it is not finished because one arises from deep sleep or sometimes from a coma people they come out of the coma. Sometimes they just die. But even death is not the end of consciousness because consciousness is eternal. And with consciousness comes desire. It is not possible to not have desire. So the idea to stop all desire and then one will stop all suffering. It's one of those uh, impossible propositions. Because if you stop all desire, I want, well, how will you stop all desire? Then you have to want to stop all desire. And that in itself is a desire. So you're caught. It's like, there's so many statements like that, that, well, uh, I don't believe anything is true, someone might say. And then you can ask them, well, do you believe what you just said? And they're caught, because if you say yes, then your statement is not true. And if you say no, it's also not true. So it's an impossible proposition to stop all... The idea that we'll stop all desire, well, you, you can't, we can't do anything unless we desire to do it. We can't embark on a, a, on a quest or a, attempt to attain any state, it, we can't attempt to attain a state that we're not in unless we make an effort to do that. Just like if I want to be uh, less angry, someone may have what they call an anger problem. So you can't overcome it unless you have some desire to overcome it. Of course, someone can forcibly inject you with some kind of drug which at least temporarily calms you down. But that's not a permanent solution. So there's, there's no injection to stop desire. We may say we'll just kill someone and they'll stop all desire. But then they get born again <laughs> with desires. Desire is uh, a symptom of consciousness. The, the, to, to, to when we see, we have all the time we see, touch, taste, smell, feel. All these impressions, they're processed in the mind, and there is sankalpa vikalpa, accepting and rejecting. This is very nice, I like it, that is not very nice, I don't like it. 
This I want, that I don't want. So these mental activities are going on. So we cannot stop that because we are all discrete living beings and as living beings we have consciousness with consciousness goes desire but we can purify the desire. Instead of thinking I want this for my sense gratification we can think I want this for serving Krishna. Here is a beautiful flower let me offer it to my girlfriend and then she'll be pleased with me, and then I can enjoy sense gratification. This is love in the material world. We show some love, but we want sense gratification. Or we think, uh, let me offer it to Krishna, because I love Krishna, with no expectation of any reward. That is pure love. So like this, everything. We can either desire it for ourselves or we can desire it for Krishna. But we cannot actually stop desire. So when it is stated here, Ichha is, uh, everyone is bewildered in this material world by Ichha. That means material desire. That's why we need Bhagavad Gita to be explained to us also. Some people say, well, you don't need any guru. You can just read the books yourself or just realize everything by yourself. Without any books. That is not possible. How will we realize everything by ourselves without any direction? The most subtle knowledge of the self. We require some direction. Or if we say, I'll read Bhagavad Gita and I'll understand it by myself. It needs to be explained. Otherwise... We may make this misunderstanding, which actually has been propagated by the Buddha, or he has been misunderstood. That desire in itself is bad, but it's not bad. It's misplaced desire. The desire to enjoy sense gratification is, uh, which binds us in this material world, and the material situation, Janam Ritu Jaravyadi, birth, death, old age and disease, it is full of suffering. So it's true that desire is the cause of suffering, but material desire is the cause of suffering. Therefore, it is foolish to desire that which causes our suffering. That is, again, stated in Bhagavad Gita, that Yeki Samsvarsha Hoga Dukha Yonia Evate an intelligent person understands that the interaction of the senses with the sense objects, eating, let me eat nice food, stuff my belly till it bursts, almost. Let me enjoy, let me, let me work hard and get lots of money so I can enjoy my senses to the full extent. So this kind of thinking is actually the uh, cause of distress. We don't sense gratification is we think that it, we will enjoy it, but actually we suffer. That is described by Prahlad Maharaj. Happiness in this material world is uh, what's the phrase he uses? Sukhashuti. I can't remember exactly, but it means that we've we, we've, we've heard about it. We've, people say that it's uh, 
material happiness give, sense gratification gives us happiness. And everyone seems to think like that, that it gives us happiness. So, we also go along with it. We think, well, everyone's working hard to get lots of money, and I'll also be happy like that. But we don't see the obvious fact that no one in this world is happy. But still we go along with the social convention that sense gratification will cause us happiness. Intelligent people don't do this. They see that. Well, everyone is trying to be happy by enjoying their senses, but no one is happy. That is intelligent. And to think that we will be happy by enjoying the senses is foolish. Therefore, everyone in this material world is a fool. That's what I was saying at the beginning of the lecture, quoting Srila Prabhupada. It's just, it's, if we, it doesn't require a very high standard of intelligence to understand this. That people are trying to be happy by sense enjoyment. They're not happy. But still they try to, therefore they're foolish. But actually most people, they don't have this kind of intelligence. They may be very intelligent. They may be uh, very expert in enjoying sense gratification. But that's a misused intelligence. It's not, we can't say it's really intelligent. Just like people that are so intelligent, people are so intelligent to make uh, animation. So, present generation of what we used to call cartoons and now they're called animations and they're very sophisticated and you have to be very intelligent to make this kind of thing but it's stupid actually I mean just like Tom and Jerry it requires some intelligence to put that together but there's no meaning to it or anything I mean there's so many movies so many movies is Bollywood the number one in terms of numbers of movies? Must be that. More than Hollywood. And then they have in Chennai something, what's that called? Something else? Tollywood, is it? Tamil, Tamil Hollywood. So they probably have one in every state. So they're pushing, maybe Tollywood is what, number three or? Anyway, the point is, it's all rubbish, so it requires intelligence to put all these movies together, but it's all foolish because it's simply uh, some titillation for the mind. Titillation, do you know what that means? It means some kind of minor... Happiness, just uh, insubstantial, not not deep, childish. Say, so it's it's requires intelligence, but it's foolish. Or even you see the whole technology, IT revolution, all this kind of thing. A lot of intelligence is being used for that, but. At the end, what is that? Janma Brichu Jiravya Deep Duke. So a really intelligent person steps back, looks at the whole thing and says, this is stupid. There must be something better than this. He doesn't partake 
in the interaction of the senses with their objects, which is the cause of suffering. And those who are impelled by itcha, material desire, they are foolish. Now, another term used here is dvisha, which means it's translated here as hate. Or, yeah, it's a bad, extreme bad feeling toward others. So this uh, itcha, this material desire, is foolish, but not only is it foolish, but it's harmful, not only to ourselves, but to others. Because when we try to enjoy this material world, then we become a competitor with everyone else to enjoy it. And enjoyment in this material world uh, usually involves some level of exploitation of others. Just like a man likes to enjoy a woman, and if he's not responsible, as is more and more common in the modern world, uh, he doesn't marry her, he just enjoys her and says, well, thanks a lot, see you later, a lot later. You can have the baby or the abortion, and uh, I'll go off and find someone else. This is very... Of course, in Bahrain, we may not see much of this, because... Uh, it's not as degraded, the general behavior, as in other parts of the world. Particularly in those parts of the world which are considered to be most advanced, and those which are most advanced technologically, they're generally the most degraded culturally also. That's why we see that uh, many Indians, they like to go to America, because they think, well, life is better there, but if... The more pious among the Indians who go there, they think, well, actually, it's horrible because it's uh, so degraded culturally. So they like to come back. They think, well, why do you want to go back from this? There's so much money in America. Everything's better. But culturally, it's very degraded. Now that you know, I don't have any deep-seated hatred of America or anywhere else, but I'm just making some cultural observations here. So, uh, yeah, exploitation. When, when desire increases more and more, then the spirit of exploitation increases more and more. That's, the, the two go together. That's why saintly people in any culture are respected, because if we go to a saintly person, sadhu, or maybe in other cultures, a priest or a rabbi, whatever, then uh, they are respected, even if they might not be very learned in the scripture, but someone is considered a sadhu, mostly by their behavior and their attitude. See, someone, they might be very learned in the religious scriptures, but still their behavior is not very good. So, such a person is considered a hypocrite. We find in the New Testament that Jesus was very uh, critical of 
class of people called the Pharisees, who were like the priests, and they were very learned in the scriptures and very uh, fastidious, that's another word you don't know. That means uh, very particular in following all the rules and regulations, but they were not good people, it seems, at least according to Jesus' estimation. So he was very critical of them, that they're only following the, the letter of the scripture, but they don't have, they're not actually nice people or good people. So uh, sadhus are respected. Why is that? Because people feel that here is someone, he's not a normal person, he's better than normal because he has no spirit to exploit. When we go to a, a sadhu, we feel here is someone who's generally, genuinely interested in my well-being. Someone who's got nothing. He's someone I can deal with and they have, I don't have to be careful. What are they trying to get from me? Generally in dealing with everyone, there's some, even we don't consciously think about it, but we're always thinking, we have to be a little careful. You can't, can't just say anything and everything. You have to be careful how you behave, otherwise they'll take advantage of you. That's always there in material dealings. But with the saintly person, we think it's okay. It's, we can trust them. Sometimes saintly people, they have the quality that was, uh, we often, it's often described about Srila Prabhupada as being childlike in their innocence. Because a child, we often say they're innocent because they have, innocent means they haven't yet developed the art of uh, cheating people. They're, they're still, they haven't learned it. They haven't become hardened and hard. So innocent, they tend to trust everyone. So that kind of childlike innocence, and no motive to exploit others. So sadhus are respected for that. And uh, as a result, sadhus or even persons who are uh, a poor excuse for a sadhu, someone like myself, many people even... You don't know them very well at all. They come and tell you all their problems because they think, I can tell this, but I can trust him. He's, otherwise, sometimes if they're afraid if you tell some your problems to someone who ha- doesn't have your best interest at heart, they'll simply they'll use that information to exploit you. They're so cruel. Or they won't know how to properly advise you. So Sadhu is supposed to be someone that we can trust and therefore... Uh, we find that there is an outrage whenever sadhus are found to be exploiting that trust, which they sometimes do. Within the Catholic Church, uh, there was a lot of outrage at the uh, child abuse perpetrated by the priests, because the priests trust. And unfortunately, within our Vaishnava society, it's also happened. So the people naturally become very upset because uh, children especially are very trusting. And if persons who are expected to be the least exploited or not at all exploited, sheltering, to the opposite of exploitation is sheltering. So if those persons who we, we, we think we can trust intimately, they use that position of trust to 
exploit others in the most uh, demeaning way or the, the most the most exploitive way, then that is uh, very much uh, disliked. So uh, icha, the material desire. That is foolishness. And dvish means when that itcha, that mature desire, becomes more concentrated. So that the foolishness becomes concentrated where we don't care for others. Or, or rather, we actually have bad feeling toward others. That's, a, that's an extreme form of perverted desire. Material desire means perverted desire. It's not, as I was saying, desire is not in itself bad. Desire is good. It's good to want to serve Krishna. That is very good. And perverted desire is to enjoy my own senses. And when that desire becomes uh, intense, the desire to enjoy the senses, then it becomes manifest as dvish, because we become envious of persons who have more opportunity to enjoy the senses than ourselves, or are more expert in doing so. And to establish our own position, we look down on persons who are less capable of, have less opportunity of uh, enjoying sense gratification. So we'll see uh, the bully, some big strong young man, he going, you won't find it in your culture because you're more cultured than from where I come from. It's actually, I've, this body was born in England and although it's considered a great country in the world, it's actually just a country of uh, savages, more or less, because they established their position by going all over the world and exploiting people. They're very expert in exploiting people. And therefore, they consider their, and everyone considers them a great country. That shows the consciousness of the world. That they're considered great because they're great at exploiting people. And India, where the culture is one of uh, spiritual uplift, uh, people don't care. Because spiritual, it's a waste of time. We should be busy enjoying our senses. So in the, in the country I come from, the, the culture, uh, or lack of culture, that I grew up in, there were bullies, big, strong boys. They would punch the others. Ah, 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 ah. See, they can't do anything about it. See, and then just skinny. And uh, I wasn't able to bully anyone. I was more on the receiving end. So that was the culture I grew up in. So this is dvish, where foolishness becomes compounded into. Uh, Meaningless hatred. Actually, hatred is always meaningless. Why should we hate? The, the natural position of the soul is to love. But when that becomes perverted more and more, that becomes hate. And when one's material desires become so uh, intense, then we don't care for anyone. And then this is the description of the asura. In the 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, we find that the, the asuras are described that uh, 
What is that term? Dambho Dharma Vimanas Chakroda Parasham Evacha Agyanam Chavijatasya Partha Sambadam Asura. So the qualities of the demonic people are described in that chapter, beginning with the general description that they're very arrogant, conceited, egoistic, angry by nature, rough in their speech and their dealings, and agana. They don't have any knowledge, no, no spiritual knowledge. That means that they're fools and they're rascals, because rascal means uh, to, to be actually a very bad person. So a fool may be just a fool. A rascal is worse. But a rascal is a more concentrated... Rascal is a more concentrated state of foolishness. Foolishness means rascal. To be foolish means not to want to serve Krishna, which is rascal. And when it, be, and when it becomes more intense, then it's called rascal. And rascal is based on foolishness. So... Those who are fools, they are rascals. Those who are rascals, they are fools. And, uh, yeah, but generally we say a rascal is a more intense word than a fool. And this is the situation of the material world. And, yeah, the, the demoniac people, they are very, uh, they don't care at all. For, to fulfill their own desires, they can cheat people, they can uh, cause them intense suffering. In fact, some people, they actually take pleasure in the suffering of others. They are the, just seeing others suffer make them, makes them feel happy. Perverted, very perverted uh, mentality. Yeah, so this is the situation of the material world, that we're born into this uh, situation. Because of material desire, we think in terms of I, me, and mine. I want to enjoy. This is my competitor. This is someone I can exploit for my enjoyment. This is someone I have to be careful of, because they're more powerful than me. They will exploit me. So therefore I have to be careful how I deal with them. Have to be very polite. A lot of this politeness and so-called humility in material life is just a diplomatic way to avoid being exploited by others. That's why we find that there's a saying that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That means you'll find someone who's very nice and well-behaved, and give them some power, and they become a, a they become a. They just exploit others, they become a despotic. So they say they say that power corrupts. Actually, power doesn't corrupt. The corruption was already the seed of corruption was already there in the heart, but the opportunity wasn't there. The, the person who was behaving well before, they were behaving well because they just didn't want to get exploited so much by others. They know how to behave in such a way that they can avoid the worst. If, if, if someone's more powerful than me and I don't 
treat him nicely, then he'll crush me. So I'll pretend I'll be very nice with him. But then when they get the opportunity, they crush others. So power doesn't necessarily corrupt. That's why we see that kings like Yudhishthira and Parikshit, they were not corrupt. They didn't exploit others. They were simply cons- they, they took the role of leader to serve the citizens, to serve God and to serve the citizens because they were, they had, they were not foolish. They knew that the goal of life is to serve Krishna. So I, he's given me this position so I should, should discharge it in his service. But people don't know, therefore they are fools. And as the foolishness is increases, we see in the modern age there's more and more and more and more propaganda for sense gratification. Enjoy it this way, that way, invent new ways. There's no new ways actually, but they, be, they become more and more degraded and the society becomes less and less safe because as people's material desires increase, then that means their ignorance is increasing. They're going further and further away from the real goal of life, which is to control the senses and engage the senses in the service of Krishna, in pure consciousness. So they become more and more rascals, and they don't care, they can kill, they can steal, they can lie, they can do anything. That's why we find, uh, just an example, Bangalore used to be known as a very cultured city, and everyone was very nice, more or less. And nowadays, it's just like any other modern city. It's unsafe to go out, especially uh, women, and, and, and anyone. You can be driving on your motorbike, and someone can just uh, someone will come alongside you and stab you and take your laptop. <coughs> so it's become. Uh, just like any other modern city, people can kill others for a, a little bit of money, steal someone's laptop. How much can you sell a stolen laptop for? Maybe 5,000 rupees. I don't know. Probably not much more than that. But people can kill for that. And then if you, at the stoplight, when it, when it changes from red to green, if you're half a second late in getting, getting moving, they the cars behind you immediately, they're just so impatient, they're sounding their horns, people have lost all qualities, because previously, it was, like I said, a very cultured place, there's a lot of spiritual culture, still there's spiritual culture, but it's uh, overshadowed by the grossly materialistic culture. People come from small towns in Tamil Nadu and Andhra Pradesh with still the old cultures going on and then they come and they deliberately train them. Now you have to smoke, drink, and uh, have illicit sex. They deliberately say, they train them. They have specific cause. You join this company and the company trains you how to be a complete rascal. And this is... No, really, really, isn't it? They, they train them. You have to drink, smoke, go to parties... Enjoy sex, and that's, you see, and then you, you earn money, then you have to spend it. And if you don't do it, then you don't get it, you, you don't go into it. They won't promote you in the jobs, anything like that. 
So it's a very severe situation in the world. People are simply fools and rascals. The Vedic uh, prescription is that, well, everyone in this world is a fool, but, okay, you can be a fool, but don't be a rascal. In other words, follow the Vedic direction. The Vedic, di- the Vedic directions are for who? They're for fools. You know that? The Vedas are for fools. They're also for intelligent people, but most people in this world are not intelligent. But the Vedic directions are for fools. Do this, don't do that, follow this, don't. That's to convert us gradually from fools to Buddha. <laughs> to intelligent people. Buddha means intelligent. So, uh, if we follow the Vedic directions, it means actually we're foolish, but at least we've understood that we need some spiritual guidance. So that's the beginning of our intelligence. And then then they may say that, all right, we perform this sacrifice and you can go to heaven and you'll get some reward and this and that. This is all foolishness, actually. But at least it's uh, regulated foolishness. It's not wanton foolishness. Unregulated foolishness, that means when we stop following scriptural directions, then we become more and more materialistic, with more and more desires, and we become more and more rascals. So all over the world, there is some system of religion that regulates our foolishness, regulates our material desires, and attempts to purify us so that we can gradually come beyond foolishness. So, uh, itcha, material desire, that is foolishness. And dvisha, that is simply rascal. Instead of loving Krishna and loving all living beings, we, we actually feel uh, hatred towards the idea of God or sometimes even in the name of religion, they say, you know, we believe in God, and if you don't believe in this God, then God will burn you eternally. Like they think God himself is full of dvesha, God is full of hate. So it's like a religion of hate. But real knowledge is to know who is actually God, who is actually our supreme well-wisher. He is... He is... Uh, Suhridam Sarvabhutayushu. He is the well-wisher of all living beings. He's not a sectarian God that, well, uh, I'm only for the Christians and all the non-Christians go to hell, or I'm only for the Catholics and all the Protestants, they go to hell. No, Krishna is the well-wisher of all living beings. He doesn't punish anyone eternally. There may be some punishment for rectification, but not eternal punishment. So all these points should be understood. Uh, Otherwise, if we're in the position of foolishness, then we cannot understand God. If we don't understand God, then we remain fools forever. Therefore, Krishna has given us Bhagavad Gita to save us from the foolishness of material desire, which is the cause of all suffering and to rectify our desires so that they can become spiritual desires. Instead of thinking, how can I exploit this material world? How can I offer some nice flowers to Krishna? 
how can I, I inform others about Krishna? These are spiritual desires. Hare Krishna. Is there any question about this or comment, please? These important topics, we should discuss these topics. We all have material desires. Is there anyone who can claim I don't have any material desires? Anyone? Anyone like to say? I don't have any material... I have conquered Maya! Anyone bold enough to say that? Yes. You have conquered Maya. No, I'm fully in Maya. You're fully in Maya. No, no. That's not correct. If you're fully in Maya, you wouldn't be here. (laughs) We should acknowledge at least that uh, our gurus have I may be a fool, and we may admit I'm a fool, but at least my gurus have given me. I cannot say that I am totally a fool, because to say that would be actually an insult to my gurus. So we should be careful, excuse me. Uh, one of my godbrothers who uh, seemed to be very exalted in Krishna consciousness, he actually claimed that I've conquered Maya. And shortly afterward, his complete tumble into Maya took place. Even to say, I have conquered Maya, that is also a statement of being in Maya, because we cannot conquer Maya. Maya is stronger than us. Maya is stronger than us. We cannot conquer Maya. We are very small. She is a very powerful Shakti of Bhagavan. But he is stronger than her. So if we surrender to him, then by his grace, we can overcome Maya. But if we say, I have overcome Maya, that means we're in Maya. And we're heading for a very serious fall. Yes, please. Maharaj, you have explained about one type of hate. But there are other types of one type of hate I explained about. But suppose there is some terrorist attack. Terrorist is called. So the people will hate him. People will hate him. So how it is? This terrorism. Probably everyone's a terrorist. If someone blows up some building and twenty people are killed, they say he's a terrorist. But every day they're killing thousands of animals. That's terrorism. State-organized terrorism, or it's that's socially acceptable terrorism. The animals they also feel pain. They feel terror. This is all. I'm not saying this terrorism, as we know it, is good. But one thing leads to another. They won't overcome the terrorism. They won't stop as long as they go on killing animals. There's going to be a reaction. People hate the terrorist. You're a terrorist. They'll be sitting over there, slices of meat, and complaining about the terrorists. They don't think, where did this meat come from? Some animal had to be tortured all his life and then terrorized into death. So, what are you saying? People hate the terrorists? This hate is how it is applicable in the spiritual understanding. How is it applicable in the spiritual understanding? Well, it's not spiritual understanding, is it? No, but when we are talking about uh, Dvesha, 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 
Is it right to hate the terrorist? Well, no one shouldn't hate them, they should be punished. That is the job of the king or the government to punish such people. But the modern kings, they themselves should be punished. <laughs> they're, pro- they're propagating, they're, they're, the leaders, they're exploiting others. They're not properly protecting them. So the whole situation has become very complex. The terrorists should be punished, but definitely in India, if anyone's got a big position in the government, it means that they're definitely they're exploiting others up to the extent of murder. This goes on. Everyone knows. So how can they complain about terrorism? That's why these Naxalites are coming up. They have a, they have a grievances. Some devotees I know they were preaching in Nepal. They met a whole group. They spoke to a whole group of Naxalites who were uh, they were actually all from uh, edu- an educated background. But they saw this: the whole society is hopeless. It's all corrupt and cheating. And people come and say to them that, "Okay, why don't you join us? We'll make a revolution. It's a good idea. Let's make something better." They have grievances. They're not going to stop Naxalites simply by shooting them. They won't stop. They have grievances. That should be seen also. The leaders are totally corrupt. Then why should people not uh, take the law into their own hands? They'll spend crores of rupees for their own security, but the common man has no uh, police protection. The best he can hope for is that the police won't come and, and with no reason, beat him up. Is there any burglary? If you're going to report it to the police, they already know. Before you report it. The the robbers, they they have to pay off a certain amount of the police. So. <coughs> terrorism. I could go on about this. Indian government, they're also promoting terrorism by not taking any action again and again and again. The terrorists, they don't care. They know. Nothing will be done. Yeah, anything else? Now we're getting into political questions. <laughs> but this is the, actually the political question. It's the uh, it's the practical demonstration of Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita, the fight was a political question, actually. It was spoken in the context of a political disturbance which had become so severe that fighting was necessary. Yes, please. Do we have any other mic so that... Uh, anyway, in the meantime, go on and speak and I'll repeat it. Bharat, we generally hear the body saying that everything happens by the will of the Lord. We hear the body say everything happens by the will of the Lord. Where is that stated in Shastra? People can say that, but where is it stated in Shastra? Someone comes up to me and says, uh, 
you know, punches me in the face and says, that was the will of the Lord. <laughs> Is that a very good philosophy? Krishna wants us to surrender to him, but he gives us minute independence, which we can use or misuse. It is not his will that we misuse our independence. A devotee has the attitude that if anything happens to me, good or bad, they take it as Krishna's mercy upon me. That is his attitude. That Krishna, through this... If, if someone comes up to me and punches me in the face for no apparent reason, I should take it, as I'm supposed to be practicing Krishna consciousness, I should take it that through this person, Krishna is teaching me a lesson. But that doesn't mean that anyone can go and do anything and just say it's the will of the Lord. Krishna wants us, that is his will, that we follow his direction. But he gives us minute independence which we can use or misuse. So the statement that everything is the will of the Lord, that's why I'm asking, where is it in Shastra? Where is Krishna's statement? Krishna's will was that Arjuna was fight, would fight. If Arjuna said, well, I don't want to fight, that's your will. Krishna said, no, my will is that you fight. He, Krishna had a, a specific desire for Arjuna. He didn't say, well, you do whatever you like, and whatever you like, that's my will. That's impersonalism. Then he said, that makes you God. Whatever I want, that's God's desire. That means that I'm God. <laughs> yeah, anything else? What is that? Say it again. What is the meaning of Matasarvam Prabhartate? Well, it literally means that uh, everything is put into motion by myself. Prabharata. Are you asking this to mean that everything is according to my will? That's not the exact understanding. Krishna creates this material world. That doesn't mean that everything is going on. Everything is going on to the rules set up by Krishna. We cannot go outside that. That doesn't mean that everything is everything is according to his desire. Then why does he come and speak Bhagavad Gita to reform us? If we were simply robots working under his desire. That's not a good proposition. Yeah, anything else? Dharma is not the will of the Lord. Karma is not the will of the Lord. Yeah, again, we have the choice. We have the choice to act properly or not properly. You mean karmic reactions? No, that goes on according to the laws that he sets up. Now, if I, uh, if a rock falls on my head, I can say, well, that's because of something sinful I did previously. But the reaction comes because I did something sinful, which means I chose to do something wrong. Therefore, I'm getting a reaction. So we can say the rock dropping on my head is predestined, but it's predestined because I did something wrong. I made a choice, and I made the wrong choice. 
I chose to do something which wasn't pleasing to Krishna, and therefore I'm getting the reaction. Yes, please. Somebody who doesn't know all about the gurus and all of this who are very new to Krishna consciousness, um, they can say, if, if they go... So, who is very new to Krishna consciousness, if they yeah, go... Yeah, if they go, they are not any gurus, um, seat or where they, uh, where they have kept the gurus directly. If, if they have kept the shoes of the display of the guru and he makes it false down, is it a sin or it's a... Someone does, so the, the basic question, if, some, if someone does something wrong without knowing, is it a sin? It can be a sin uh, because one should know. <laughs> Just like if you're in the, if you're in the country and you're, if you're in a country and say you come to a new country and you violate a traffic regulation and you say, well, I didn't know about it. In the country I come from, that's, that's, it's, it's not against the law. But if you come to a country, you should know the law. So it's your responsibility also to know that those particularly who are trained in the knowledge, then if they do something wrong, that's considered more serious. So yeah, if you do something wrong, it's wrong. It's the responsibility in human life to learn what is right and what is wrong according to the prescription of scripture. Still it's an offense. But we don't take it so seriously if someone's new. We should tell them and train them. Any questions from the ladies? Then I'll finish. No. Alright. So I'll, I'll finish there. And uh, yeah, i just like to announce about my books. Um, oh, this one off. Batteries are Okay, um, I'll take a copy from, this is Hare Krishna, alright, whoever this belongs to can kindly, I'll take a copy of this, maybe two copies, another one also. Um, yes, yeah, Srila Prabhupada told me to write uh, philosophical and educational books, we have some of these available here in various languages. We have books here available in English, Hindi, Telugu, Marathi, Tamil. Did I say Telugu? Yeah. Uh, books that I've written, including Ramayana. Here's the latest book I published, 24 years work, Bhakti Siddham Vaibhav. I'm presenting this copy to the temple library here. There's one other copy available. It's a heavy book. It weighs more than, well, it's three volumes. It weighs three and a half kilos. It's heavy philosophically also. The language is also heavy. Uh, other books I've written, Beginner's Guide to Christian Consciousness, Ramayana, <laughs> Glimpses of Traditional Indian Life. You have that, right? Glimpses? Yeah. Jai Srila Prabhupada, Vamsidas Babaji, Rasikananda, Brahmacharya and Krishna Consciousness. Yeah, very important book, if you want to follow the rules and regulations. Uh, on pilgrimage in Holy India, <coughs> and some other books which I'm not remembering. Vamsi Das Babaji. Message to the youth of India. Do we have that in English here? 
Only in China. I saw you told me that you brought one copy. No. Alright, these books are available and uh, I request you to take some. I can also sign them. There are also CDs of lectures. Uh, there's one, some DVDs available with 400 lectures if you really like lots of lectures. I try to give philosophical lectures to help devotees uh, understand all the intricacies of Krishna consciousness. Otherwise, we could be in Maya while thinking we're in Krishna consciousness. It happens. We should know clearly what is the understanding. There are also uh, CDs. Uh, we don't have lectures in Hindi there. Hindi lectures. Bengali. Uh, there are Bengali. I just said there are Bengali lectures. Uh, yeah, there are also, if you would like to purchase some of these books and have them sent to your home or to your relatives or friends in India, uh, that can be arranged also. There's an order form and you just uh, fill it up, pay the money and we'll send the books to you by post or courier or whatever. So, that's something you can arrange. So, Hare Krishna, please do kirtan for a few minutes 